0: Here with another episode of Conversations and Connections. We're the official podcast of the Family Crisis Center of East Texas. I'm Stuart Burson, the prevention coordinator for the agency. And today uh, on the show, we have Drew Crescente. He is with Jennifer Ann's group. And we're kind of wrapping up Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month for February. And uh, Jennifer Ann's group is just, they have a very interesting story and an interesting mission that I really wanted to talk to Drew about. So Drew, first of all, thank you so much for taking some time out. You're in, is it Atlanta, right? Yes,
1: I'm in Atlanta. And uh, thank you, Stuart, for having me. I really appreciate this
0: opportunity. Yeah, so I just really think what you're doing is great. Uh, And I kind of want to start things off by See if you just tell me a little bit about the background of what exactly the mission of Jennifer Ann's group is.
1: Certainly. So uh, Jennifer Ann's group, our primary focus is the prevention of teen dating violence. And as so often is the case with a nonprofit organization that has the name of a person in it, this organization also is rooted in uh, tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. And so Jennifer Ann is my daughter, and when she was a senior in high school, she was killed by her ex-boyfriend. Jennifer is my only child, and so not only did I lose my wonderful daughter, but I also did lose my identity and my purpose as a parent. Uh, I knew very, very little about teen dating violence, even though I considered myself to be a very informed parent. And so, a primary goal of ours is to make sure that other parents and other families do not have to go through the tragedy that
0: we have gone through. Sure. Uh. Well, you know, and I guess with a lot of things, it's a great cause. It's a great uh, foundation you set up. Unfortunately, the reasons behind you set it up are are tragic, and and uh, it is it is a sad situation. I don't know if you're familiar with um, One Love. They're an organization that kind of has a similar mission and a similar foundation story. And we do a lot with with One Love as far as their their programming goes. So um, I don't know how much detail you want to give. By all means, I want to be respectful of of you and, and Jennifer Ann's memory. But what prompted you to get this off the ground and get started. I know you kind of you kind of gave gave a synopsis of that. Um uh, you know one question I guess I have this this young man that your daughter was dating prior to him uh killing her did you have any uh were there any red flags was there anything about him that kind of prompted you to question um his motives of dating your daughter or his personality or anything like that? I, you know, unfortunately I don't.
1: And I know that that, uh, you know, I, I wish that I had more to, uh, to share about that. I wish I could talk about all of these warning signs that I now see that I didn't see before, but that really, unfortunately is not the case, which I know, um, doesn't really support our efforts very much because, you know, our goal is to make sure that parents and educators and young people themselves know about these warning signs. Um, But I I, I will say one thing that I did know, one thing that I did notice was that this was a person who was uh, quite dishonest. He had a, a history of being dishonest. And to the extent that Uh, Teen dating violence, just as in uh, relationship violence amongst adults, uh, it's rooted in power and control, an unhealthy need for one person to exert control over another. And one way they do that is by lying. And so in retrospect, that is something that I now know about. And I could see that at the same time, you know, having a a partner who, who lies uh, it it's hard to say that that's necessarily going to be a, an abusive relationship. Uh, there's other information that I, I've since learned that does indicate that this w- was a relationship that absolutely was unhealthy. But no, at the time, the only thing Jennifer had shared with me was this issue about his dishonesty.
0: Yeah, yeah what has what has his fate been what is he where is he, he at today he's in prison
1: and we actually um had to go through earlier this year uh he was being considered for parole so we had to go through that process uh, which was really unfortunate um in part because he had received a sentence that um that many people would agree was lighter than it ought to have been. And beyond that, he had an accomplice and that accomplice remains free. So this was, um, uh, when we went through the process of, uh, you know, seeing if he was going to be eligible, if he was going to be released or not on parole, um, there was a series of newspaper articles and that, that columnist, the work that she did uh, made me aware of some of the failings on the, on the part of the uh, district attorney's office, unfortunately. And I should tell you in case you were not aware, she actually was in Texas when she was killed. Although I am here in Atlanta. Yes. She was in Austin and she was the first homicide of the year for Austin
0: in 2006. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, that's, I know a lot of that, you know, is hard to talk about. Prior to what happened with your daughter, did you think you ever would have it in you to spearhead something like JenniferAnn.org, you know, this group? Obviously, this was, this was fueled by tragedy, and you're, you know, uh, wanting to do something as, you know, you as a parent who, who has lost their child... But did you ever think you would be able to even undertake such an effort like this?
1: Um, you know, given the scope of the work that we've that we have done and the number of people that we have reached, uh, no, I, I, I would not have expected that. However, um, at the time that Jennifer was killed, I I was doing technology work. Yeah. Um, I was a, a consultant. And so I was doing work involving a lot of, um, you know, uh, helping to develop and managing teams that were working on online applications and websites. And on my, and in my own time, I was volunteering for at, at the American Cancer Society. Uh-huh. And um, I helped put on one of the, you know, Relay for Life events. And there was, you know, something that took about six months of, of, of time. And so I did have some background knowing that uh, I was able to make a difference. I also had some background knowing that using technology can really uh, help you leverage whatever time and effort you you have. You can leverage that into having a a far greater impact.
0: Right. Okay. Um, So one of the things that attracted me to the website when I was just kind of Web surfing about uh, teen dating violence was the interesting approach to educate youth through video games, uh, you know, and, and you know, not trying to uh, be stereotypical, but it's what kid doesn't like video games, right? And it's an interesting approach that you decided to take on educating these kids through video games. That some of that is. Why choose video games that have does have anything to do with your background in tech, or is that just something that you wanted an approach you wanted to take?
1: So our you know, I I wound up at video games. Um, it was not my immediate thought, it was not my second thought, my third, fourth, (laughs) fifth thought. But what you know, as I said earlier this was an issue that was not on my radar. And I was an an engaged parent. I was a parent who had had the tough talks. Yeah, I was a parent who had a quite close relationship with, with my child. And the fact that I did not know about the severity of this problem, to me, was very surprising. And when people asked me what had happened, and I said it was teen dating violence, They had to parse through those words because that label was not familiar with them. Right. They did not know what that meant. They said, "Oh, is that a a thing?" I said, "Well, yes, obviously it is." So our primary goal at first Uh was to increase awareness. Tell people this is a problem because eighty-one percent of parents either do not know or do not believe that teen dating violence is a problem, despite the fact that by the time they've graduated from college, 44% of all students have been in an abusive relationship. So there's a real breakdown there if you're thinking about how few parents are aware of it and how many of their kids experience it. So to increase awareness is difficult when people aren't already aware about the topic.
0: Well, what's difficult also as an educator myself, when I go out, and propose that we even talk to communities about this, sometimes you do run into, oh, well, that doesn't happen here or this doesn't happen to my child. That's exactly right. Or my child is
1: not going to date until they're 25. And you know what? If you're trying to convince them that actually your child is probably already dating and isn't comfortable being honest with you, then you're having the wrong conversation. You're not talking about what you need to be talking about. So it's very hard to engage people when they're reluctant to discuss that topic or if it's just not on their radar. So we tried a T-shirt design competition, a poster design competition. Um, After I created the organization, I did go to law school in order to become a better advocate. So a law school paper writing competition, whatever it would take to just try and attract enough attention and... All of those were, you know, marginally successful. And and one of the things actually that worked best was we created um, plastic cards, essentially just like a credit card. And on one side, it had the 10 warning signs of a potentially abusive relationship. And we partnered with it. It was before the National uh, Teen Dating Violence Awareness, uh, um, I mean, prevention hotline was available. So the helpline wasn't available yet. But we worked with them to come up with the warning signs. And I said, boy, it would be great if we had a phone number that they could call. They said, well, you can't tell anybody this, but in February, we will have a helpline. We got the funding for that. I said, can I promote that number? They said, absolutely. So we gave them a number and we gave them the warning signs. Those cards were very successful. When I was in law school, we transitioned from the plastic cards to heavy stock uh, bookmarks instead, Okay. much less expensive and also more useful in many ways. Uh And we've distributed over a half million of those throughout the U.S. at no cost. However, we have to pay for those and they get shipped to my house. And I literally broke the subfloor in my house from the weight from these cases (laughs) of these. Um, And then we have to ship them. Right. I said, boy, I'm glad that we're engaging people. Okay, I'm glad that these schools and organizations are reaching out to us, but I feel like I might have to sidestep parents. I might have to sidestep the schools and go to where kids are already at and not expect them to come to me. And so I said, oh, wait, how about video games with a big question mark at the end of that? And I said, you know what? We've tried all these other things. So let me try this. So that was in 2008. Okay, I did not know. I mean, although I'm a you know, I have a background in technology. uh, Creating a video game at that time required much more technical skills than it would today. So um, I didn't know how to create this game. I did not have the budget to hire a team, and frankly, I did not know what that game should look like. But I said, the world is full. Of clever, creative people that will have good ideas, and so we created a, a game design challenge. Uh, the, the The fundamental rule is that you cannot have any on screen depictions of violence, because we did not want to encourage revenge games. Right, we did not want to take the the Hollywood route of having something terrible happen. Instead, um, we said, you know, can you create a video game about teen dating violence without using any violence in the game itself? And that first year we offered a thousand dollars as the first place prize. We got game design um, experts, uh, you know, professors from universities that teach game design. We got people in the game industry, journalists and reviewers. And then we also had uh, psychologists and subject matter experts. So we had a group of people who reviewed the games, came up with a winning game. And I think the concept itself was intriguing enough that we got a fair amount of media coverage by doing this. okay. And so I considered that first year to be a, a success. And we said, let's try this another year. And now here we are 16 years later doing it again. Wow. Um, and we have produced over the years, over 70 of these pro-social video games. Not all of them have been released. We don't release the games until we feel that they're ready to be released. Uh-huh. Uh, Once we get them in, as I said, we have experts that look at them. First of all, we are very trauma informed. We recognize that people who might be drawn to these games are people who have more likely than not already experienced some form of trauma. So we're very aware of that and we need to be respectful of it. We also need to make sure the content is accurate and that the game is, although it might not always be fun, It needs to be compelling, compelling enough for them to play it. Um, And and one thing we have done is we have moved away from strictly focusing on teen
0: dating violence. Well, that was going to be Um, one of the questions I was going to ask for you. Are some of the games, do you you have other games that are addressing maybe other issues besides teen dating violence now?
1: Yes. So I would say up through um, 2016, I believe, it was always teen dating violence. We maybe changed a little thing here or there, like you know, this year it needs to have an interactive element, or this year it needs to reflect, uh, I don't know, something happening in the world. So if the weather changes in the place where the game player is, then the weather changes in the game, for example. So different things to okay. increase the challenge. In 2017, we focused on consent and We thought that was really important for many reasons. And the main reason is that consent was in the news and and it was important that it was in in the news. It was necessary that people were talking about it. But boy, it was frustrating to hear people in the news really not get it right. So um, we, we decided, okay, we're going to get it right. Now, one of the tricky things about consent is that you can be in state A, and consent means one thing, and you can be in state B, and it could mean something else because it's a legal term of art. Okay. So given my legal background, and I, I brought in a part-time person to help me run that contest who also had a law degree, we went ahead, we looked at all of the different states, and we came up with what we de- decided, all right, these are the four fundamental rules that for our contests this is what consent means. And so we made it very clear to the contestants, this is consent, now can you create a video game about it? We received more pitches for that contest than we ever have. We gave away a total of around $20,000 in prizes. And to this day, that group of games, we now have six games about consent that have been published. that group, that that topic, those are the most popular games still, uh, uh, reliably, pretty much week, week to week. Um, so we're, we're, that's wonderful. Last year, we had over 20,000 people play our games about consent.
0: Okay, great. So well, well,
1: while I'm going to sleep and I'm talking to you, those games are still out there and they're still engaging people and people are learning about consent. We had a museum in Australia that recreated one of those games, a life-size exhibit for people coming to the museum to learn about consent. We had another group contact us from Vanuatu. I had to look it up on Wikipedia. See, uh, chain of islands near New Zealand. They wanted us to create a game for young people living in Vanuatu based on our consent game. We worked with them for six months and created that in their language with characters that looked like them, for them to learn about
0: Wow. That's amazing. Well, Drew, you know, the big question is, where can people access these games if they want to check out these games and play them? Where do they go? Um, So our games are in a variety of places.
1: um, (laughs) And we are actually working with a, a group of students at Georgia Tech right now to address that. We're creating an educational hub. So that way educators can go to one place, have access to the games and the lesson plans and all of that. But that will be at least a semester before that's available. So I would say that, I mean, one good place to start is our website, jenniferann.org. All of our games are free. All of our lesson plans and slide decks are free. Uh, we're, We're trying really hard to make sure that educators have the resources they need. And I'll point out for those people who might not be feeling very comfortable about talking about healthy relationships or teen dating violence or consent, is that for the past few years, we focused on more general topics. So two years ago, the topic was resilience because we had all of these kids who had just gone through COVID, didn't get to go to homecoming or graduation. We recognized the need for resilience We've um, published three of those games. We have two more to come. Last year, the focus was critical thinking. This year, the contest we will be launching next week is on connectedness. So when you look at connectedness and critical thinking and resilience, these are all protective factors Mm -hmm. that will help discourage violence in general. So we're not focused as strictly on teen dating violence, but trying to find a way to help all young people live happier, healthier lives through these protective factors or through these games that support and foster yeah. those skills.
0: Now, you know, you mentioned alongside with the games, the lesson plans and slide decks, are, is it recommended that educators can su- I guess what I'm asking, Can someone just go to the website and play the games without looking at the lesson plan and getting something out of them? Or do you recommend educators presenting the game to students along with a lesson plan? Like, do um, they have to go hand in hand
1: or does it matter? We would say it would really be up to the educator. Uh, we have lesson plans for, I think, maybe five of the games. So it's, we still have to create far more lesson plans and slide decks because yeah. we have many more games than we than we have the resources. And the reason we did it though is that I was wondering why why educators weren't using the games in the classrooms. And somebody said, well, do you have lesson plans? So I went online, I said, all right, let's write some lesson plans. <laughs> and after about eight hours of research, I said, okay, let's hire an educator to create some lesson plans because that was not my skill set. And I right. I figured I needed to find somebody who knew how to do it. So we did do that with a game called Honeymoon and actually playhoneymoon.com is the website. And that's a game about healthy relationships. We hired an educator, a Houston-based educator, who wrote over 30 pages of lesson plans for that game. And we pilot tested it at EPISD, the El Paso Independent School District. And those teachers and counselors who used the games along with the lesson plans, loved it. Absolutely loved it awesome but it's not very easy to get into a school system so we're we're really not going and calling on schools we're much too small to do that instead what we're doing is we're just telling people these resources exist you know once states are begin to start teaching these topics we want them to know that they don't have to spend thousands of dollars to go off for a seminar for a weekend or for, you know, a special notebook or whatever it is right. they might be paying for. The the games are free. The lesson plans, the slide decks are free because we're mission focused. We're obviously not profit
0: focused. Okay, great. Uh, before, I, before I let you go, is there anything else you want to make sure we touch on in this conversation? Um anything else related to JenniferN.org or your mission or just anything you want our listeners to know about
1: you know I I, I think um what I would uh, what I would say is just um as much as we do not want to think these things are going to happen to people that we care about um I I, I would compare it to a fire drill. You know, when we're in elementary school or middle school and we have that fire drill, obviously, we're not, we're we're hoping there will never be a fire. And just because you're going through the fire drill doesn't mean that there will be a fire, but you really do want to have a safety plan. You really do want to talk to your kids. You want to come up with a code word that they can use if they're on the phone and they're in danger. If they use this code word, they know somebody's listening. Also, they need to memorize a couple of phone numbers. We all have mobile phones, and I don't know about you, but I know like two phone numbers right uh, mom's and mine and it used to be that we That's all a lot know a phone
0: now.
1: <laughs> and the you know, one of the things that happens, uh an abuser will take your phone, and at the most dangerous time, if you don't have that phone and you're able to get away and you get to a phone, yes. Obviously you can call 911, but memorize some phone numbers, have a conversation with your kids. And if you don't know how to have that conversation, look at our games, find a game that resonates with you. And if it resonates with you, ask your kid to play it this weekend. And don't don't sit there and watch them when they play it, let them play it. And when they're done playing it, the two of you come together, you can then have a conversation about the game, about the characters in the game, so that they're not feeling judged and that here here you're having a conversation
0: about a topic that you didn't think you'd be able to address. All right. Drew day thank you so much for taking some time out all the way from Atlanta to talk to us about Jennifer Ann's group. And if you want to know more about this organization, just go to their website, Uh Thank you so much again, sir. I appreciate your time and thanks for Uh, carving out some time to be with us today. Thank you, Stuart. I greatly
1: appreciate this opportunity. I think we need more people like you and your organization that are sharing this important information about the prevalence and dangers of teen dating
0: violence. Thank you again. All right, thank you, sir. So again, uh, it's jenniferann.org. And as always, i like to close out the show. If you believe you need our services from the Family Crisis Center, you can uh, call our toll-free 1-800-HOTLINE. That's 1-800-828-7233. Also, subscribe to Conversations and Connections. You can do that via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, pretty much any service of your choice. And if you would like to make a donation, go to our website, FamilyCrisisCenterOfEastTexas.com. There at the bottom left, you'll see a donate button, click on that. If you'd like to make a monetary donation to help survivors of relationship violence. Remember, be the voice, if not for you, for someone else.